0: Before ever app the following program is sponsored, No Truth Incorporated.
1: Today on Know the Truth, Philip DeCourcy explains desire for eternity.
2: A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. And if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. You know what? So we were. God has put eternity in our hearts.
1: God created us for relationship with Him and for a meaningful existence on this earth, but somehow the enemy has got us going around in circles. That's our subject today on Know the Truth with Philip DeCourse. Philip reminds us that when we're rooted and anchored in Christ, our lives have tremendous significance and purpose. But it's all too easy to believe the lies that life is meaningless, meaningless. So let's recalibrate our minds with another message in the book of Ecclesiastes. Philip is continuing a new series titled The Quest for the Best.
2: In the movie Bonnie and Clyde, Bonnie is seen to enjoy her life of crime at first, but as time and crime go by, the initial joy becomes jaded as she expresses the futility of it all. She says this, I thought we were going somewhere, but I see we're just going. George Small once wrote, quote, I read in a book that a man called Jesus went about doing good. It is very disconcerting to me that I am easily satisfied with just going about. Do you ever feel that about life, about your life, that you're just going about? That life works out to be a series of left turns that has you performing a circular motion. One thing leads to another, yet together they lead nowhere. That is often our experience in life. We drive towards some great goal that seems to give our life meaning, only to find ourselves spinning our wheels on the starting line. We never seem to get off the mark. Well, as we come into Ecclesiastes 1 verses 4 through 11, Solomon struggles with a similar sense of frustration. He tells us here that life under the sun is a lot of nothing. He suffers here from a form of motion sickness. His life is going round in circles. And he's dizzied and despairing. As Solomon looks at the natural world, the sun, the wind, the sea, the coming and going of generations, as he looks at human experience, he sees that nothing changes. Men and women spend their days in much ado about nothing. Vanity, vanity, all is vanity. In fact, Solomon says, if you think about it, we really don't change much. And in the end, we really won't count for much. For life will go on without us. Solomon's not into have a good day. In fact, remember the point here. He's trying to underscore the point has already made in verse 3. That man doesn't profit much from his labor. That life is not a paying proposition that is apart from God. That is life under the sun divorced from life above the sun. And he wants to underscore that point. And so in these verses, he looks at life and its monotony. He looks at life and its misery. He looks at life and its mortality. And this reinforces the thought that everything is much ado about nothing. What profit has a man for all his labor, in which he toils under the sun? Not much. The last time we were together, we listened to Solomon as he uh, looked at life and its monotony. He sees one generation come, another generation go. The world goes on with its business. The sun rises and falls, the wind are around, the rivers pour into the sea, but the sea is never filled. There's a certain monotony and mundaneness to life under the sun, and we acknowledge that. And we made some practical and pastoral comments about that, that we do need to accept that there is a certain mundaneness to life. And we do need to cherish the small happinesses in life because they are big. And we do need to hold on to the hope that a sovereign and a surprising God who set the sun in its place, who causes the rain to fall into the rivers, that he can indeed break into our lives, intervene in the normal course of things and switch things around and change things up. And we trust him for that in the midst of life's monotony, in the midst of life's mundaneness. But we're moving on. Solomon not only looks at life and its monotony, he now in verse 8 looks at life and its misery. Because as he's looked at the natural world, now he begins to look at human experience and what holds true for the natural world holds true for human experience. Nature shows no progress and life shows no progress. That's what he says here. All things are full of labor. All things are burdensome and boring to that degree. In fact, this word labor carries the idea of weary. And the picture being painted here by Solomon is of mankind plodding and pushing along a big gigantic treadmill, accomplishing nothing, going nowhere. The two Old Testament scholars, Kyle and DeLeach, note in their notes on Ecclesiastes, this unrest in the outer world reflects itself in man. Man is no more at rest inside himself than the world outside himself. And Solomon reinforces this as he considers inside desires and outside discoveries. Inside desires and outside discoveries. Look at what he says at the end of verse 8. The eye is not satisfied with seeing, nor the ear filled with hearing. Solomon is saying that the unending sequence of the natural world leaves a man stir crazy. What he sees on the outside he finds on the inside. In a restless world, he is without rest himself. He's as insatiable as the sea in terms of his desires. His eye can never see enough. His ear can never hear enough. Life never seems to be enough. Man, the incurable seeker, is always on the lookout for some new sight, some new sound, some new sensation that will give a fuller meaning to his life. He always lives in the hope that the next thing's going to be the best thing. But it never is. Man itches for things and desires for more. He's like a junkie. He's always looking for a, a new high. His eye cannot. Be satisfied with seeing, his ear cannot be filled with hearing. Such is the lot of mankind. We are no more at rest than the sun and the whirling wind and the rivers that pour into the sea. When we lived in Santa Clarita and pastored at Placerita Baptist Church, we loved annually to go to Six Flags Magic Mountain. And as I thought about it this week, the roller coaster park illustrates what we're talking about here. Because every year we went back, there was some ride that was faster, some ride that was higher. It promised a new sensation that would satisfy the, the, the real roller coaster fanatic. In fact, if you've ever been there, there's a mural on the wall of the park. And it shows the evolution of Six Flags Magic Mountain. Starting out with the Colossus, that big wooden rickety roller coaster. Then came Revolution. Then came Superman. Then came Riddler's Revenge. Then came Batman. And there's new rides since then. And there's more in the pipeline because because that which we have enjoyed is not enough. Our heart hasn't been stopped yet. We haven't been made sick yet. Certainly, surely there's more to come. It's not enough. And it's all a parable of life. This insatiable appetite for something more that never seems to come. Life can be so wearisome at times as we're on this search for that fix, for that fulfillment. Life at times seems like the chasing of the proverbial carrot on the stick. We live in hope but we never seem to get where we want to be. Life always seems to be one step ahead of us, just beyond our reach. One more run up the corporate ladder, and we'll be there. One more zero on the end of our bank balance, and we will have arrived. One more product to buy, and that will do it. One more relationship to explore, and the search is over. Isn't that where most of us are at? There's nothing new under the sun. What was is. And man is restless within the creation that seems to be in perpetual motion. Life and its monotony. Life and its misery. By the way, by way of footnote, I think that our lack of fulfillment points to something. It points to the fact that this world is not enough. That there's a hole in the soul of mankind that's stuffed doesn't seem to be able to satisfy you would almost get the impression that we were made for something more you know what so we were god has put eternity in our hearts and when we take him out of the equation and we try to fill the hole in our soul with the stuff of time and the things of the world it never works there's never enough The desires that cannot be fulfilled in this life may just point to another life, do you think? In fact, that's what C.S. Lewis says. Listen to these words in Mere Christianity. Creatures are not born with desires unless satisfaction for those desires exists. A baby feels hunger. Well, there is such a thing as food. A duckling wants to swim. Well, there's such a thing as water. And if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is that I was made for another world. That's true. We were made for life above the sun. And you know what? Our unfulfillment, our insatiable appetite in life under the sun points us in that direction. The world is not enough. That's why Jesus will later say, there's no gain in gaining the world and never satisfying your soul. That's not a win, that's a loss. And so Solomon shows life's misery in the light of inside desires and he shows life's misery in the light of outside discoveries. And remember, this idea of misery being weary, being labored, we're no more at rest than the creation he just described. And he sees that in our desires, and he sees that in our outside discoveries. As the eye looks for something new, do you know what? It finds nothing is new. Look at verse 9. That which has been is what will be. That which is done is what will be done. There is nothing new under the sun. The generation before us that has come and gone... Their eye was never satisfied, neither was their ear, neither was their heart, neither was their life. And we go looking, thinking there's something new that they didn't discover, that we can. And Solomon says, no, there's nothing new under the sun. Those inside desires will never be satisfied in the outside discoveries. Because history opens and closes the gate on each succeeding year and the natural world and human nature basically remains the same. That's what Solomon's telling us. He's telling us that the past is the future and the future is the past. There's nothing new. And that plays into his argument, right? What profit does a man have for all his labor? What does he get? Is there any gain? No, there's no gain. There really is no progress. What seems new is simply a repackaging of the old. Now, I know that jars on your thinking this morning. You say, Pastor, that's such an overstatement, isn't it? That doesn't bear the light of logic. And to the modern reader, it seems incredulous. How can Solomon say there's nothing new under the sun? That's If you compare his day with our day, it's night and day. What about the medical advances in our generation, extending our lives into the 80s and 90s? What about space exploration? Man has walked on the moon. Man is sending machines that are orbiting outer space. What about the world of telecommunications? And how the whole world is now connected by cell phones and the internet? Someone might say, you know, it all just goes to show that the Bible is stuck on the past and that's why it belongs in the past. It's really out of date when you think about it. And here's a statement that proves it. Nothing new under the sun. Well, hold your horses. I don't think this statement is as incredulous as you think. And I'll give you a few reasons for that. This is interesting. Think about this. In terms of the progress of history... The future is always simply catching up on the past that we lost. Let me unpack what I'm saying there. The future will always be behind history because paradise has been lost. We once had something magnificent, perfect, glorious man in the garden with God and we lost that world And so, whatever we're improving, we're simply improving imperfection. But we lost perfection. And so, in the truest sense, there's nothing new under the sun. Whatever we think is new, whatever we think is grand, whatever we think is better, it is a pale reflection of what we once enjoyed as mankind and what will be found again someday when Jesus comes back. So, we need to get off our high horse. We're not as far on as we think. Okay, we're extending life more and more, but we're still catching up with Methuselah, aren't we? It's a long time ago. Okay, we're traveling into space, but what about Elijah taking up to heaven in a fiery chariot? There's been space exploration long before we ever discovered it. There's nothing new under the sun when you really think about it. Plus, Not only is the future catching up with a past we have lost, the change that we're experiencing is only a change of sorts. What do I mean by that? We acknowledge the pace of change in our generation. We marvel at it. We're thankful for it. But the change, more often than not, is simply a change of category. It's an old category of investigation taken to a new level of understanding. The changes that we experience are changes of sorts. They don't fundamentally reorient life. There's always been science. There's always been transportation. There's always been means of communication. There were letters. There were riders and horses. There were chariots. There were all kinds of things going on in cultures and civilizations before us. And and what we call change and what we call advancement is simply the same building blocks being arranged in different combinations. And so the new discoveries are often built on old discoveries. The new is really that which is old made better. It's not new in that sense. In fact, in his book, Lost Discoveries, the Forgotten Science of the Ancient World, Colin Roman says this, A new method of determining whether a woman was pregnant was discovered in 1926. It involved the testing of the pregnant woman's urine. However, the ancient Egyptians were already employing a urine test over 3,000 years ago. They soaked small bags of wheat and barley with the urine, and if the subject was pregnant, the urine would accelerate the growth of the wheat. There's nothing new under the sun. You'll find that our new discoveries are simply building on old discoveries. And it's not so much new, as just something being made better. Plus, let's not overlook the fact advancement brings complication. The bad can rival the good in whatever that new thing is. The promise and benefits of nuclear physics has given us the specter of nuclear holocaust. Medical research into the problems of fertility and the advancements there have led to an ethical minefield of abortion and and, uh, genetic engineering. The guy who helps us grasp that the most is uh, Dr. Richard Swanson. He's got a really interesting book I commend you to get at some point. It's called Hurtling Towards Oblivion. And he talks about profusion. He talks about the exponentiality of change. And all of that is affected by our fallenness. So every good is balanced by a bad. He says this in the, in the field of uh, technology. The average American must learn how to operate 20,000 pieces of technology in his or her lifetime. Many of these are wonderfully entertaining. Others labor-saving, time-saving, productivity is enhanced. The negative, the manifestations of fallenness involved in technology are legend. Broken components, noise, cost, complexity, dehumanization. Many devices were seemingly designed to infuriate. Information technology has contributed to accessibility overload, where the average worker today receives 169 messages a day, enough to drive them to the brink of insanity. (laughs) What about mobility? Most people appreciate the ability to get into a car, he says. Visit a friend in the next county or jump on a plane and explore a canyon six states away. Mobility allows us to change jobs when needed, to escape geography and climate when needed, to start over when needed. But here's the downside. Mobility has a devastating effect on community. We're increasingly becoming rootless. We have no traditions. We have no job longevity. We have no strong church relationships. Mobility has also allowed kidnappers and pedophiles to roam thousands of miles in search of their next victim. Mobility has contributed to the spread of disease. Viral strains of influenza, HIV, almost all microbes have incubation periods long enough to permit international travel anywhere in the world before clinical symptoms begin, thus greatly increasing the risk of global pandemics. And so is life truly enhanced? There's nothing new under the sun. Isn't it interesting that Jesus says in Matthew 24, As it was in the days of Noah, so shall it be. Nothing new under the sun. Because man can't change apart from the transformation that is brought about through faith in Jesus Christ. Just as a new suit on a street bum doesn't change the man, neither does educational, technological, or medical advance change a morally delinquent society. We're better off? Yes, but we're not better because Adam is still with us apart from Christ.
1: You're listening to Philip DeCourcy on Know the Truth. Philip is continuing a timely message titled Going in Circles, and this is just one part of the Quest for the Best series. Catch up on any message you might have missed when you visit ktt.org. You can also listen via the KTT app and podcast. It's our mission to offer you many ways to know the truth. As you freely receive these messages, you're gaining wisdom and hope for daily life from the reliable, inerrant, and inspired Word of God. And as you're benefiting from the daily messages on Know the Truth, maybe you're wondering how you can do your part to keep this program coming to you and others in your community. Like other non-profit ministries, Know the Truth depends on your generosity. And when you give today, every bit of your contribution goes right to the production and distribution of this daily Bible teaching program. Call in a one-time donation today at 888-644-8811 or sign up to give monthly as one of our Truth Ambassadors. You can also give online at ktt.org. Now, when you make a donation of $20 or more today, Philip would like to send you a book by Philip Ryken titled, Why Everything Matters. Ryken is a respected author and the president of Wheaton College. In this commentary, he writes... Think of Ecclesiastes as the Bible's cattle prod. The preacher's words push us to expect lasting satisfaction, not in money and pleasure, but in the goodness of God. Don't miss getting your copy of Why Everything Matters when you give a generous gift of $20 or more. Donate online at ktt.org or call 888-644-8811. And of course, you can also mail your gift to Know the Truth, Post Office Box 30250, Anaheim Hills, California, 92809. That's all our time for today. I'm your host, Wayne Shepherd, reminding you that our relationship with Christ keeps us from going around in circles. Learn more tomorrow on Know the Truth. Today's program was produced and sponsored by Know the Truth, Incorporated. Jesus said, you shall know the truth and the truth shall make you free.
3: Dan Prof for townhall.com. The sexualization of children will be televised. It's on Good Morning America, where an 11-year-old drag queen dances provocatively to the approval of the hosts and studio audience alike. It's on Hulu in the form of a series, Pen15, with behavior I can't describe here. Gore Vidal would be approved by the standard of today's culture. In 2015, an admitted pedophile argued in Salon.com that, quote, society preventing children from engaging in sex play and romance is akin to preventing them from learning to swim, unquote. Today, New York State legislators respond to sex trafficking by introducing legislation to legalize prostitution. The social justice response to sex abuse by Catholic clergy has removed the celibacy vow and prohibitions on homosexuality for priests. The response to the latest sexual abuse charges against R. Kelly is for his attorney to assert an implicit consent offense for preying on 14-year-old kids. The sexual revolution is on the cusp of conquering its final frontier. I'm Dan Proff.
0: Publicpolicy.pepperdine.edu.